Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Life Inspired. This week, we are talking about racial reconciliation, a really important topic and one that's especially been on my mind as we come to the end of this pandemic, because as life goes back to normal, I think there are just some things that we do not want to go back to normal. So I'm really excited about our guest today. She is a singer, activist, social media influencer, and mom. And so everyone, please welcome today's guest, Melinda Hale. Hi, Jace. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you for joining. How are you today? How's your week been? Oh, you know, you know, dealing with a toddler and trying to work. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Melinda and I. It's a lot. I just cannot imagine trying to handle that right now. And I feel like I've talked about that with a couple of guests, but I just don't know how you all do it with, I can barely handle a cat when I'm working right. at home. So I can't imagine a child. It's funny because I have, I have obviously Sienna and she just turned one, but I also have a dog who's like going through like feeling like neglect and like they're both oh. competing for attention. Like the other day I was like, both of you need to get it together. Cause I oh, can't, no. I know, I know. I love them both. They're both my babies, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been a wild ride the last year. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I'm glad that you're, you are getting everyone calmed down and hopefully they'll yes. get along. <laughs> um, well, Melinda, to get into today's episode, we always start with the news inspired. And so we're going to go over just three headlines that are exciting in the world and some good news because any chance that we get to share some good news, we're not going to pass that up. So our yeah. first headline today comes from COVAX and they've announced that the vaccine rollout for the for COVID-19 is expected to hit over a hundred countries this month, which is really exciting because the, I don't know if you've been following along for, there's been a lot of disparity amongst like poorer countries and who gets the vaccine. And so I know the World Trade Organization has been putting a lot of effort into this. And it's so good to hear that everyone is hopefully soon going to have access to this like healing and um, the end of this pandemic. So super exciting. Yeah. And just back to normalcy a little bit. So yes. that's, that's really encouraging. I love get that. To go outside. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> the second headline today, there is an 82 year old woman named Laverne Ford Wimberly, who has gone absolutely viral on Instagram for sharing selfies every Sunday and her Sunday best for her Zoom church service. Oh my gosh. She's my favorite. I'm obsessed. If you haven't I can't seen wait her, to look her up. You have I to have look it. her up. The cutest little old lady um, and just still getting dressed every Sunday for church. I turn off oh. my camera for Zoom church and, <laughs> and in my pajamas, like eating breakfast. I love that. But see, the reason I love that so much is that she was like, you know, things are changing, but I'm still going to do what I'm used to and what makes me happy. So good for her. I love that. It's pretty cute. The last headline today is that the Washington Post has reported that there is a study that has concluded that the asteroid that likely wiped out the dinosaurs also created modern rainforests. So we have to find some silver lining wow. in that. And I'm a big believer in everything <laughs> happens for a reason. And so right. a little fun science fact oh, this wow. week. I love that. I love science. That's cool. That's cool. I'm going to have to look that one up. That's interesting. <laughs> um, so this has been the news inspired. And I hope that these are just the first of a lot of headlines that bring a smile to our faces this week. Now, 
Melinda's here because she is an activist who does a lot of work and leads a lot of conversations surrounding racial reconciliation. And like I said earlier, as we enter a post-COVID world and, and things start to get back to normal, I think a lot of people are hoping that our focus on um, just reconciling the tension and hurt uh, that it, there exists, especially in this country, that our focus on that doesn't go away and that we continue to move forward and make progress. So Melinda, to open today's discussion, I thought maybe we could start with a lightning round to just define some of the basic terms that might come up. Um, and mm -hmm. some of them are really similar. So getting ahead of that and, and getting out kind of what those mean to you as we discuss this, if that works for you. Oh, I was never a good like tester in college. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I we'll think, see how well I do. <laughs> I think you'll do great. You'll do great. Okay. Okay. Good, great. Great. So our first lightning round term is BIPOC. Can you just tell the listeners what is the BIPOC community? Yes. BIPOC stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. So it's basically covers every person that is non-white. So when we mention BIPOC, we're kind of uh, just putting them in a group together because there are a lot of similarities in terms of struggle and um, adversity that those groups are facing. What about equality? How would you define equality? Great question. I mean, <laughs> equality is very simple. It's just everybody having access to the same rights literally everybody <laughs> that's just what it means equality we want everybody to have the same rights everybody to live the life that they want to live as long as it doesn't affect anybody in a negative way so just making things truly equal wonderful what about justice how would you describe justice when it comes to rec racial reconciliation you know i i've been a part of this um thing with yahoo called the allyship pledge and the best definition that I heard for justice is that justice is what love looks like in public. And I, I got chills when that definition was, because it's true. It's like when you show people that you love them, you're fighting for justice, you're fighting for their rights, you're fighting for a just world. So I just think it's it's showing people that you love them, but publicly. And I, I that's the best way that I can describe justice. That is the best definition I've heard for that. Um, our last term for the lightning round, reconciliation. It's, I've had this conversation about what reconciliation looks like and what it is. It's really getting to a point where there's there's healing and understanding across the board. You know, you want to reconcile with the past in order to move forward. So it's really just understanding, hey, these bad things happened. Let's make sure that we don't do them again and make sure that the people that were affected by those decisions aren't continuously affected by them. So that to me is what reconciling is. That's great. It's it's like a, a healing that we- Yes, exactly, that we exactly. That's awesome. So that's a really good transition into kind of the first question that I had for you just to lay a foundation. How would you describe like the racial justice movement that's happening in the US right now? Um, I, well, I, let me start by saying that I think that we would not even be having this movement had it not been for the pandemic. So as much as the pandemic sucked and <laughs> ruined a lot of people's lives and, and kind of flipped the world upside down, in that sense, I think it was needed for people to really pay attention. Because I think for a lot of people within the BIPOC community, but specifically, I'm going to say the Black community, because that's the community that I identify with, we just felt like our voices weren't being heard. So I was grateful for this time for people to really say, oh, 
this is what you've all been saying this entire time. You know, I, I had no idea. I had no idea because when you're stuck at home and you're all watching the news, you're all watching the same things because you literally cannot leave your house. You can't hide it. You can't, I mean, you can't run away from it. You know, it's, it can't be hidden. So there was less distractions for people and it, it made people have to open their eyes. So I'm grateful for the, the movement. I'm grateful for the change in perspective. I'm grateful or the conversations that are happening. And I think it's something that's been a long time coming, but it's definitely necessary. And I truly hope that the um, moves that people made over the last year in wanting to have conversations and in wanting to figure out ways to help, I hope they stay true to it as we're starting to inch our way out of this pandemic, because it's not over it, yeah. by any means, you know, but there's still a lot of work to be done. But I think that I personally feel that we're headed in the right direction because people were forced to to look at it and look at it through a different lens while we were all at home. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And the pandemic really did bring light to so many of the problems and injustices that so many people um, are facing in the world and in our country. How do you think we got to the point where those injustices were so commonplace. Because like you said before, before the pandemic, people just maybe didn't talk about it or it was hidden. But how did we even get to where these things were happening? You know, that's the thing. It They've always been happening. And I think just as social media and technology have grown, that's what's made people more aware. I mean, you know, my parents grew up in the South. And unfortunately, this is nothing new to them. You know, police brutality, the racism, the, these types of conversations, the fights, the activism, like, this is what they've known their entire life. So, you know, I, even just talking to my mom, she's just like, I, I'm surprised that people are surprised because this is all that I've ever known and, and witnessed. And so I think as much as we could say the negative things about social media, I think that that's also one of the positive things is that we're realizing these injustices are way more common than people realize because everybody has a phone now, because things are posted and you're able to share experiences, you're able to share what happens to other people. And as much as, you know, you can filter out your feed or whatever, you're, you, there are ways to not, you can't really ignore it. And like I said, during the pandemic, there was absolutely no way to ignore it because all we were was on social media and watching the news. So I think that social media has really just put a bigger spotlight on something that has been happening for a really long time. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. I, I saw a chart on social media and it showed the history of America and it was like color coded. And the, the first section was slavery. Um, and they also had like notes that commented on during that time, like indigenous people, um, how they were mistreated and, and um, all of the things that were going on then. And then it showed like the Jim Crow era, like open legal racism. And then now it seems like there's still all of the, it's more like social oppression than legal oppression, yeah, if that makes sense. For sure. For sure. And I think, I, I, I know exactly the graph that you're talking about too, because I know it was circulating for a while, but I think people have this, um, misconception that as soon as the civil rights movement happened, that everything was just fine and dandy for, for black people. But we forget about the huge mass incarcerations that happened in the 90s. We forget about redlining. And people always ask me, you know, well, what laws are in place now that are actually racist laws? And it's like, it's not about 
there actually being something written into law. It's about how certain things are applied to different racial groups. And that's what we're talking about in terms of like, just look at everything that happened in Georgia. All those voter changes and those laws that change affect the communities of specifically people of color. So while it doesn't stay in the law, we're actually just choosing to suppress black votes. When you look at the areas that it's affected, it's completely black and brown areas. So it's like you have to do the critical thinking and realize what's happening, you know? So when people make that argument, even when you give them the facts and then show them the data and show who certain things affect, they don't want to believe it because it isn't as blatantly racist as the Jim Crow era because that is illegal. But there are ways that people suppress black and brown people. So how do you, if you're talking to someone who, like you said, doesn't want to recognize what is happening and how some of these laws and things like that are oppressive. How do you show them that that's what's happening? It's difficult, you know, I mean, I try, I have a lot of grace and a lot of and I really do try to have conversations. I mean, if you look at just simple things like, um, let's talk about land, right? Black people were not allowed to own land. And then the, the people that were born free were not born as slaves and they did own land. They got taken out. Like, I think a lot of people don't even know that Central Park, New York, for example, was a right. thriving black community. And then that they got kicked out and it got turned into Central Park. So when yeah. you think about things like that, there's no, this is an example, there's no equity for those black communities because they were taken, their wealth or the opportunity to have wealth was taken away. So when you look at it like that, it's like, well, there's a privilege within the white community because they have never had to deal with that. So, and then you look at how it kind of trickles down over era after era, generation after generation. And that's why so many black communities are poor. That's why so many Black people have issues, you know, with buying houses, with getting education, because of how they've been suppressed for so long. So Mm -hmm. I try my hardest to show, you know, the information, show the data, and try to make them connect the dots. But, you know, some people don't want to hear it. Some people are afraid of facts. And eventually I do have to move on because it gets exhausting. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But it is hard. I try. I really do try. I try to make people understand. Because it's not about like, oh, Black people, you know, feel sorry for me. It's not that. It's like, this is why a lot of Black community are always pushing for reparations in some form, whether it's education, whether it's medical Mm -hmm. care, whether it's giving us land, whether it's, you know, allowing us to have bank loans. It's because our ancestors, our parents even, were denied those opportunities to create generational wealth. I mean, there was a statistic I read, and I talked about this on my podcast, and I'm not quite sure the exact number, but it said something that in order for the racial wealth gap to even come close to even to, to being even, I think it was something that um, all non uh people of color or basically all white people had to stop working for almost 80 years for it yeah. to, for us to even catch up. That's crazy. I mean, that's yeah. how much of a head start that white Americans have over people of color. So people just really need to look at those types of statistics and understand that it really has been a repetitive cycle that, um, that just keeps happening. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So So as a white person, I have, especially in the past five years, come to realize how much privilege I have and whether it's something that is overt or something that I didn't even realize, like some of these voting laws and things like that, that I never even thought about. Or like you mentioned, like um, just descending from a white family, like I have this head start. So how can white people contribute to equality and help us to get to a place where the world is more equal for everyone? 
Well, it's interesting because a lot of people say, you know, oh, I don't want to just give somebody an opportunity because they're a person of color. I want them to be qualified. But then that's the other thing. It's like you have to look, well, have they been given the opportunity to be qualified? You know, for example, having the money and in the capital to be able to even go to a higher education place. Right. So a lot of black families cannot afford that, even if their child is clearly a scholar, clearly smart enough, you know, they just can't afford it. And there are only so many scholarships I know that schools get, you know, so it's things like that, but it's, it's hiring people, giving them the opportunity, but it's also going into the communities and, and, and showing them different, you know, occupations. You know, I think that people need to go into inner cities more and show them different opportunities because if they don't believe that they can do something like that, they're not going to ever try. And this is why I talk Mm -hmm. about representation so much because if a little black girl wants so, it's just into science. That's just what she's into. But she has not seen a single scientist that looks like her. She's not going to think that she could ever be that because she's never seen a black female be a scientist, you know? Yeah. So you have to hire people to have diversity because you need your office to look like the way the world looks like. You just have to. And and I, I, get, I get it. People don't want to just hire somebody for the color of their skin. And I completely agree. But it, you can train people. You can show them how to do the work. You can help people learn and get them there because you want to help create those opportunities for younger generations. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So speaking of seeing someone who looks like you um, and, and believing you can be that, let's talk about one person in particular who has recently kind of broken a ceiling, um, the vice president, Kamala Harris. Yeah. How, yeah. Has, how has seeing her elevated to this leadership role, how has that impacted you or how do you think that would, will impact your daughter growing up? I mean, I think it's huge. And I, I love that she kind of covers, she covers everything. She's a woman and she's a woman. So mm-hmm. anybody can truly look at her and, and, and realize, oh, I can do this. You know, no matter what race you are, if you're a woman, you can look at her and believe that you, it is possible for you to be the vice president or even just be a senator, you know, because she was mm-hmm. a senator for such a long time. I think it's a big deal. I think, unfortunately, we are also seeing a lot of microaggressions from the Republican Party in terms of her because nobody was ready. I mean, they weren't even ready for Hillary, who's a, uh, a well-off white woman, you know? So I'm sure this is shake, making people shake in their boots. But I think it's huge. And I'm glad, I'm very glad that my daughter, who is biracial, is going to see a biracial woman, um, you know, in, in one of the highest offices in the country because it's really important, like I said, to see people that look like you to know that anything is possible. Yeah, that's so true. And that's, I have a sister who's adopted and she grew up in Colombia. So she really identifies Mm -hmm. with her Latina heritage. And so we talk a lot about like Sonia Sotomayor um, and other people that she can look up to like that too. Yeah. Yeah. Who are some other Black community leaders or anyone in the BIPOC community that maybe you're looking up to right now? Oh yeah, great question. I mean, I've been following a lot of uh, a lot of leaders lately, um, mostly social media influencers that say really great stuff. Um, Jamira Burley is a great one. Obviously, Amanda Gorman, who we we saw um, for the inauguration, yes. she's incredible. Amazing. Um, you know, even people in the industry that are that are breaking down barriers like Viola Davis and Audrey mm. McDonald, you know, um, I love everything that they represent. Um, and then you have, you know. Uh, women who represent trans women like Laverne Cox that I think is, is really important for representation in that sense. Um, there's so many I could, I could probably 
name a million, but those are ones that I tend to follow um, that are really doing great work. Really great work. That's awesome. I love those names. I have a couple in there that I'm going <laughs> to have to look up now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So switching topics a little bit, one thing that has been, I know on my mind a lot, um, I don't know if you've been following the Derek Chauvin trial that's going on right now. Um, I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about this concept of redemption and I'm trying to find this because I'm a big believer in redemption. I have made my own mistakes and, and I'm so grateful that people have chosen to forgive me. Um, so I'm a big believer in redemption, but I also believe in accountability. And I think that's such an important part of where we're at in this conversation too. So when there are t- things like police officers who are brutal, or even when people commit microaggressions or are racist, whether it's, you know, on purpose or not, how do we balance accountability with redemption? <sighs> the ultimate question. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I I mean, I've had this conversation many times and I know that I can uh, speak with you from a spiritual standpoint because, yeah. you know, with our faith, we are taught to forgive. Right. And, um, and I think forgiveness is a beautiful thing. But unfortunately, I also think that forgiveness can be abused. Mm-hmm. And I think that people don't understand that asking for forgiveness does not mean you are absolved of anything that you've done. Mm -hmm. It just means that the person forgiving you is allowing you a chance to do better. That doesn't mean that you have to, that you should be repeating the behavior. So I think that we have to, as humans, um, really figure out whether or not the person asking for forgiveness is genuine. And I think that we can tell as a whole, like, I just feel like, you can tell when somebody really means, I'm sorry, I want to do better. This isn't how I meant it. And they want to learn because then you follow the trajectory of their life and you see, okay, you tried to do better. That's why I, I kind of get weird about quote unquote cancel culture and they pulling up tweets from like 10 years. It's like, well, look at what they've right. been doing. Like if it's a continuous pattern, then that's just who they are. But if they've literally learned from that and not been that person over the last decade, let's probably not hold it against them, you know? Yeah. But there are certain people that you could look at and it's like, you're just who you are. So it's hard because. Again, like I said, from a spiritual standpoint, we are taught to forgive. We're taught to give grace. But I do think that people take um, people's kindness, uh, take advantage of it very often. Yeah. So I I believe in giving people second chances. But I think, for example, with the Derek Chauvin trial, he has a pattern of t- behavior that unfortunately they're not even bringing up in this right. um, in this trial, which is ridiculous to me. Um, and that's a whole different conversation in terms of uh, the victim being the one on trial, which is really, really uh, a gross way to, to go about it. But that's yeah. common in these situations. But I think when someone has repeated behavior, there are, it, at that point, it is really just between them and God at the end. Because I think that people think that well, I'm saying, I'm sorry. So you should just move on. And that's not how it works. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. It's like, we, we have to work on getting better at, like you said, like not cancel culture. Like if someone is genuinely apologetic and wants to move forward, right. we have to let them, but right. also there are consequences for actions. And yes, absolutely. So and I think a lot of people, especially people in the conservative Christian community, they aren't used to being held accountable for things because they are just taught that if they say they're sorry or ask for forgiveness, then that's the end of the conversation, you know, but there's work after that 
and you have to be held accountable. People are going to be watching you like a hawk after that mistake. And you have to also actively want to do better. And so if people Mm. don't want to actively do better, I understand why they get canceled. You know, I understand why people don't want to keep trying to give them a chance, but I do believe in grace. I do believe in giving people second chances, but I think every case is very specific. And I think, um, again, you just have to kind of look at somebody's life trajectory and repeated patterns of behavior and really see, okay, is this genuine or not? And I think that, you know, people, um, have enough of a filter to figure out if it's real or not. Yeah, no, I like that. I also like that you said that you brought up canceling people in general, because I'm such not a fan of just like canceling everyone for every little thing. But I also sometimes want because I have, you know, friends and loved ones who uh, live in a different place and have been, um, you know, just taught different things than me. And sometimes they do say things that Mm. are racist, even if they don't recognize it, or they do commit microaggressions towards people of color without ever recognizing it. So what are some ways that we can help to educate people who don't mean bad things for anyone who, who just don't know what they're doing? Like, how can we educate them better um, to, to pursue equality? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think start by asking them, do you realize what you just said? You know what I mean? Like, Mm. I think you have to, you have to put a mirror in front of them because some people don't know. And honestly, racism and microaggressions and all that, it's learned behavior. So Mm -hmm. I think that if they learn to be that way, they can learn to not be that way for most people. Some people are really far gone, (laughs) but I think in general, if you just put a mirror in front of them and say, Hey, do you realize what you said and why this is that, you know, not okay that you got to start that way. And then you got to show them why. And then you have to teach them, you know, just about stereotypes and, and the microaggressions and things like that. You know, I could think of a million situations with microaggressions. I actually think microaggressions are a little bit more, um, hurtful because they're so subtle. Mm. And I know as a, as a black woman, I get in a position where it's like, do I waste energy trying to call somebody out on this? Because then I'm thinking like, I don't want to feed into the stereotype of being an angry black woman. I don't want to feed Mm. into being the aggressor, but it's like, I want them to know like why saying certain things is not okay. So I think it's all about your, your approach. And while I don't really want to condone like coddling people, sometimes you just have to in order to make them understand and listen. Because if you come in an aggressive way, they're going to retreat immediately. So it's really just asking them, hey, do you realize what you just said? I'll explain to you why that's not okay. And just take it from there. But it's all about how you approach it, not just calling them out in kind of a, a mean, aggressive way because they will not listen. Yeah, that makes sense. It's almost, it's like accountability, but you kind of have to take the high road to get there. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, right. You know, it's like Michelle Obama, who's another one yeah. that I'm obsessed with and love with. She's like, when they go low, you go high. Yeah. And, and that's why any like Twitter, like crap that I get, I'm always unbelievably kind to people to an extent because there is a boundary for me, but I try to be as kind as possible in responding to them because there a lot of people are angry and they don't even know why they're angry. So I try to understand and I try to just have a conversation with like, well, why did you say that? Like, why was that your choice? Like, why did you need to call? If you wanted to ask me a question, just ask me a question, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. So if you approach things with, with kindness, you know, my mom always says you catch more, more bees with honey or something. something yes. Like I've heard that. That. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's more applies with honey right. than with vinegar. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, that's what it is. That's exactly. perfect. So also mm-hmm. I realized we just said microaggression a bunch of times for mm-hmm. people who don't know, do you want to explain what a microaggression is? 
Yeah, it's, it's so funny. I can't ever come up with an exact um, <laughs> definition of it. It's I can't. It's just those things that you say that aren't there. It's almost like a back, it's like those backhanded compliments that, you know, growing up, you know, I know for me, for example, when I would have my hair differently or, um, here's a perfect example of a, of microaggression growing up in Santa Barbara, I grew up in predominantly white space, but I was in a very pro black household. Um, my, my parents were educated. There's a huge, uh, emphasis on education in my house, reading workbooks, school. When I wanted to, during summer, I was like, mom, seriously, I'm, I'm tired. of." <laughs> and she's like, no, I want you to get ahead. I skipped a grade. I grad, you know, I graduated high school at 16. Wow. I graduated college at 20. So that's, I attribute that to my mom. Yeah. I attribute that to my mom because she was really big on education. But one of the microaggressions I always got is like, oh, you're not, you're not like a, a typical black girl. Cause you, you sound white. And that's a microaggression because to them, they think it's a compliment, but it's actually an insult because you're literally saying the education and speaking eloquently is only something that is synonymous with whiteness. Now, you don't know that that's microaggression and it is kind of racist as well, but you got to call people out. And so I do, it's like, well, what do you mean by that? And they're like, oh, well, I just mean, and they get really uncomfortable when I've called them out on that. It's like, I was like, so you're saying that black people aren't educated? It's like, no, 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 you just, you don't talk black. What is talking black? Mm. Well, you know, and it's like, well, you know, not all black people are from the same area, right? It's like, you know, you're from California and somebody from Texas is white. They're going to have a Southern access. They, they talk different. Should I assume that you talk the same as them? So you kind of have to, to, to turn it on its head and show them that what they're saying is, is pretty ignorant. And that's, that's a form of a microaggression to me. It's like something that you think almost is a compliment or it's a joke or it's funny, but pull back the layers. There's, there's that subtle racism there. It's, you're not meaning to be offensive. You're not meaning to be hurtful, but it is. Yeah, no, I think that's something that we need to talk more about too. Because yes, because like, it, it's like it's soaked in society. Like there, I think there's more microaggressions than like overt racism. Yeah, yeah, which which kind of goes back to everyone's implicit biases that we yeah. all have. And I know I have, you know, even in my own life, I have to recognize my biases against all kinds of people. But yeah, I think it's just good to 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 bring that up so that we're always absolutely thinking about it. Absolutely. What and we're going to fail. Like, and that's the other thing I want people, you're going to fail. You're going to mess yeah. up. But just like I, like we talked about, if there's clearly the intention to do better, you'll get it right. But just, I don't want people to like beat themselves up when they get called out on that. Just mm. fix it and move on and do better. That's all you have to do. You just got to fix it and do better. I love that you, you said like, you don't hold that against, you know, someone just because you called them out on it. Because I think so often, a lot of what happens is someone gets called out for something. And our automatic instinct as people is just, oh, I'm going to fight back, you know, it's like fight or flight. And so as soon as they get yeah. called out, they're like, oh, this person is maybe angry, I need to be angry back. And it just creates so much tension. So I love that you're just like, you yeah, break that down and, and, and yeah, help people to be better. Um, exactly. That's all it is. We should all be trying to help each other be better. <laughs> yeah. So what are some, microaggressions is one thing. What are some other things that you wish people would talk more about when it comes to this reconciliation? I think, I mean, honestly, the, the trajectory of racism in this country and how it still is ingrained in a lot of our systems and a lot of people's mindsets. I think that we can never get to a point of reconciliation if we're so afraid to truly talk about the past. You know, people get 
so uncomfortable when you bring up things and you bring up the Jim Crow era, when you bring up slavery, when you bring up mass incarceration, when you bring up redlining, when you bring up all the things, they don't want to talk about it because they think because it's not happening now, why do we need to talk about it? It's like, no, but let we have to work backwards so you can see why we're here and why we're still talking about that. So I wish people were more comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. Also, I wish that people were more willing. I, and I have seen it this year. I do wish people were more willing to um, have uh, tense conversations with family members mm. and not worry about... Um, offending them based on the things that they say. I mean, I was on a thread uh, on Facebook a couple weeks ago and someone who claimed to be a Christian, which I see often, was saying that they didn't see an issue with calling it the China virus, right? Mm. And um, people were saying like, hey, this is why this is offensive and this is why it's harmful because as we've seen, there's a lot of Asian hate happening currently. And if there's any chance that saying the China virus is going to perpetuate that violence, then you specifically, even more so as a Christian, should never participate in saying that, right? Right. And so he continues to say like, oh, you know, it's just words, blah, 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 blah. Then the person whose threat it was, you know, because people were calling him all kinds of names and like yelling at him, right? The person whose threat it was was like, hey, we can have disagreements, but let's just let make sure that we're kind to each other. Mm-hmm. And we all called him out because it's like, are you really asking everybody on this thread to just be kind with a racist when he's saying all of this stuff? Mm-hmm. Why aren't you calling him out? So, and, and it turns out he was one of the, um, a, ch- a member of his church. So he felt uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's like, but you have to call those people out because basically telling people that are being hurt by these words and telling people of the Asian community or any BIPOC community like hey I know you're angry but just you know try to be nice and even though that is the approach I take because that's a personal choice that I make I don't think that any white person should tell any person of color how they should be dealing with racists right. so I need more white people to be comfortable calling out the racist people in their lives and not telling the people that are affected by racism how to react to it that it just has to happen because it's not it's so funny people are always asking people of color like how do we do this how it's like we didn't invent racism i don't know why certain people don't like me because the color of my skin i've you know i've been Mm. on this earth for 34 years i don't know (laughs) you know what i mean so you have to talk to your other white counterparts and you need to call them out on it it can't always be our job because it causes emotional labor and trauma and all of the feelings and it's it, it shouldn't be put on us to have to deal with that so i need need, need, need more white people to just get uncomfortable with calling out people that are in their lives. That makes sense. And I wonder if maybe, okay, so I think when people, especially white people, hear things like someone says like, oh, don't call that the China virus. That's offensive to other people. You're hurting those people and you're causing pain in this world. I think that a lot of white people think that that is what oppression is. And they're like, oh, I'm being censored. This is oppression. And it's 100%. So then that's why they feel like they can retaliate. And it's like, that is not <laughs> oppression. It's, yeah, I, you're, you're absolutely correct in that. And I f- almost feel like they, 
there's this want to be oppressed so that there's like a, a weird connection. It's just, it's weird, but I completely agree with you. They think that there's this, um, the censorship is uh, silencing their voices, taking away their rights and their freedoms. But again, going back to the spiritual aspect, your personal freedom is not more important than somebody else's life. Yeah. And I firmly believe Jesus would, would attest to that, you know, if he were on earth right now. Um, so we have to think about that. What is more important, you know, as a Christian, love God and love one another. So if yeah. saying that is hurting somebody, you're not loving them. You're not doing that main second commandment and you have to love your neighbor. Um, so yeah, I, it's funny you say that because it, it is, they do view it as a form of oppression, but it's not. It's just teaching you how to be respectful and how to love your neighbor and how to be a better person. Yeah. And I, I, I had someone ask me several months ago, like, well, then how do I know what oppression is? And it's like, well, it doesn't hurt you not to say words like that. And it, it, it does hurt someone when you do it. So, so if someone tells you not to do it and that's not hurting you, it's probably not oppression. It's probably not oppression. And the other thing about oppression is that you're not, it's not stopping you from doing anything to succeed. Like calling it a China virus or like saying people saying like, you shouldn't say all eyes matter. Like if that's taken away from you, how does it affect your life? You know, and that's what I think that they don't think about. They just want to have, be able to do whatever they want, but it's not that it's about what is it actually hindering you from doing in any way, shape or form. And all it is, is protecting another human being. That's all it is. It's not hindering you from anything. Yeah. That's perfect. Um, okay. So Melinda, I really have loved this conversation. I try to keep these episodes close as we can to 30 minutes, um, but I have <laughs> two questions that I really want to ask you. Of before course. We of course. So the first one is knowing where we are in this country and in this world right now with the racial justice movement and just the treatment of all people. Um, and also the, the, situation we're in where there's so much like AAPI hate right now, just knowing everything about where we're at in the world. If you had a crystal ball, where do you think we're going to be in five, 10, 15 years? Oh gosh, that's a great question. I actually think we will be in a better place. And I think for, there's a couple of reasons. One, there was a, an article I saw maybe three years ago that showed what the makeup of the world was going to be, or even specific, more specific, this country. And I, it, it look, made everybody look very mixed, which I think is so beautiful. And I'm, you know, obviously uh, in favor of interracial relationships and marriages and all of that. But um, I think as we change kind of the makeup of this country, it's going to be a lot easier for people to relate. And it's going to be um, not as big of a conversation in terms of racial recon reconciliation because races are going to be so intermixed and it's not really going to be an issue anymore. So I think that just based on that article, that's kind of what it was saying. So wow. I think that that's really cool. I also think that we will start to see um, more more activists, more people speaking out. And I think probably uh, a shift in um, social equity in the sense of like the what racial, racial wealth gap, excuse me, mm -hmm. um, because there is more of an emphasis on diversity inclusion now, which I love. 
um, in diversity across the board, you know, not just with the BIPOC community, but with the LGBTQ community, you know, women in general, like, I really do think that there's going to be more diversity inclusion. And it's so funny. I mean, I'm married to a white man, but I do think that white men just need to kind of step down for a second and give other people some opportunities. So I do think in the next five, 10, 15 years, we're going to see more women ascending into power, more people of color, more members of the LGBTQ community. And, uh, corporate world is going to start looking more like the real world because mm. you know I had a conversation with my friend and at any given time I have somebody in my life that is a different race somebody that is a different sex somebody uh, that is mm. a different uh, sexual identity somebody that it, it has a disability you know and that's what a lot of people's worlds are our our worlds are intermixed with a, a variety of people uh, from different backgrounds and I think that once corporate world starts to look like that, we're all going to be in a right place. And I do think we're starting to get to that point. So five, 10 years from now, I, I do think that those percentages are going to, to change drastically. That's awesome. I had never heard or even thought about how, you know, things will be, like you said, like more mixed and, and we won't even, mm-hmm. we'll be able to talk about these things more yeah. because we'll all be more of a blended community. So I love that. Yeah. Which I think is so awesome. It's really, really cool. Yeah. So for my last question, think having that picture in your head and as we end this pandemic and in this time where people really don't have anything to do besides better themselves and think more about justice, um, what are some things that you think allies of our BIPOC community should keep in mind so that we continue to grow and develop and get to that vision in 5, 10, 15 years? Whew, um, like my head just started spinning when you ask that because I oh, feel no. like there's so much. It's hard to answer that question in terms of what they should keep in mind. But what I will say that I think allies just need to do from the get-go is just mm. listen. Just listen listen before you respond, you know, just hear other people's stories and experiences and let them guide you, you know, and not in a way that's like draining to them. Like, I don't, I'm not saying every time something happens, like, how should I respond to this person? How should I respond to the person? That's not what I mean. But if you see one of your BIPOC friends post and say, Hey, this is an article everybody should read. If you want to be an ally, take the time and read the freaking article, you mm-hmm. know, or somebody says, Hey, I'm having a you know, hosting a conversation about racial inclusion. If you really mean that you want to be an ally, attend that conference, you know, attend Mm -hmm. that, that conversation. So it's really, it's going beyond the posting of the black square, just posting a hashtag. It's actually doing the work and showing up. So you got to listen. You have to educate yourself and you have to, uh, you have to show up because if you don't show up, then like your words don't really mean anything. It's all about that action. And I get it. Not everybody. I am, I am not a protester. You will not see me out in the streets. That is just not who I am. I'm just sure. not. I never have been. Women's marches, Black Lives Matter, whatever. But I will always I will always show up to conferences. I will always donate money. I will always, any resources that I have access to, I will gladly give to anybody. Like buying people water, giving people things like that, connecting people. That is the stuff that I, I love to do. Having conversations, hosting panels, hosting things like that. You know, find what you're comfortable with in certain mediums and do the work through that medium. Because I get it, it's not for everybody. And I know there's so many things going on. So it's hard to, to know like, oh, well, I want to help, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Listen to your people of color friends. Listen to them. 
and get involved in the way that you can, you know, because like I said, certain marches, marches aren't for everybody, but definitely not for me. So just find what works for you, but get involved and show up and do the work. That's great. That's such a great thing to end on. And I really appreciate this and all of your wisdom and insights into this. And I even have of things course. like in my own life that I'm like, I need to take this away from this and work on. Yeah. So I really, really appreciate you being on the podcast today. And before yeah, we Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, happy to. Is there anything that you want to share? Either like recap from today, anything we didn't get to, anything you're working on that people, where can people find you on socials? Like this is your, your moment. Yeah, of course. Well, on socials, I'm Melinda Hale everywhere. M-A-L-Y-N-D-A-H-A-L-E, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm very active. Um, and TikTok, so you can find me there too. Oh. Um, I, I know. I got involved in that. and it, oh, no. It's actually been kind of fun. I figured out my little niche, but um, TikTok took me a while. I'm not going to lie. I uh, but I also have a podcast called We Need to Talk, where I have conversations like this a lot stories and the intersection between social justice, religion, society, and culture, and all that stuff. Um, And then I also have a project that I just launched in January of this year called Black Voices Heard. And it um, amplifies Black voices and their experiences of what it's like being Black in America. Um, We obviously are starting in Los Angeles because of the pandemic, but eventually we will be traveling with the project to cover the the country and and try to get as many people as we can from different states just talking about their experiences of being Black. And the, the stories are are very rich they're very powerful and um i the purpose of creating that project was really also to give people a different perspective of how they may view black americans or how they may view the black experience because um black people aren't a monolith and have different experiences but there are things that still tie us together so definitely recommend uh, checking that out it's at black voices heard project um on uh instagram and uh facebook Wonderful. We'll definitely have to check that out. Thank you again for all of your time today. And thank you to everyone who listened to this episode and who's been following along. If you can head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rate and a review. Um, And you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Life Inspired Pod. I just want to thank everyone again, and hopefully we can take something away from this conversation that helps us all to be a, a little bit better and to treat others better. I hope that today's conversation brought everyone a little bit of joy and that it helps everyone to live the life inspired. Thanks, Melinda. Thank you.